Just before the pandemic, two years' worth of fetuses were found in an abortion doctor's garage. 2,246 fetuses, to be exact. Sealed and medically preserved in bags, Dr. Klopfer performed abortions until his license was suspended in 2015. And until his passing, no one knew he was collecting all those fetal remains. We still don't know why. Obviously, there was something intrinsic to a fetus, even to an abortion doctor. But what is it? Is it really a life, but doctors just abort it because it's their job? Is there a point at which that clump of cells becomes a living being? When does life begin? Well, these are questions that have never been answered, at least not in the halls of Congress. As a country, we have yet to decide when life begins. Instead, focusing the debate around choice. But shouldn't we all be on the same page about what we are deciding? What is that choice? Shouldn't there be at least some congressional record or hearing where that's been vigorously debated for all to read, see, and hear? Because after all, people come from people. So at some point, that fetus is living, and at some point, that abortion is taking a human life. But where is that line? There isn't one. It's much easier to use the abortion debate as a wedge issue for both the left and right. It's easier to siphon money out of people and use it as a weapon to rally the base at the polls when the election is near. The closest thing we've come to kind of agree on, at least tacitly, is safe, legal, and rare. Remember those words? Former President Bill Clinton said them during his 1992 campaign for president in regards to abortion policy. So what happened in the last 30 years to go from rare to a doctor with a fetal fetish? That's coming up on The Deep Cut. Safe, legal, and rare sounds like a compromise. After all, Clinton had the it factor. He was what every candidate wanted to be and every elected official thought they were. The third way is how Clinton branded himself as a candidate, telling America, quote, I'm not left, I'm not right, I'm middle. This strategy congealed onto the Democratic Party, causing them to adopt this safe, legal, and rare slogan as their principle for abortion policy. Linguistically and brand-wise, it's genius, simple and hard to argue with. So simple, in fact, and effective as a policy platitude that you might think Donald Trump would put it on a hat. So let's think about each of these words. Safe. Who wants an unsafe medical procedure to be practiced on vulnerable, distressed young women? No one. Legal. Who wants to make a woman a potential criminal because she is pregnant? No one. Rare. Who wants lots of abortions? No one. It does become a life at some point. While choice may have seemed willy-nilly, rare was reasonable. Yet all this distracts from the bigger question of when life begins. The meat of what abortion is really about. But regardless of one's pro-life and pro-choice predilections, this deep cut is about politicians' dishonest use of incrementalism and the dangerous way it catalyzes policy. Let's take a look at the first word, safe. In 2021, a study showed that by the second year of a nationwide abortion ban, pregnancy-related deaths could potentially spike by 21%. Aside from saying a woman's right to choose, politicians and activists have been touting the sentiment of safety. They protest the necessity of abortions by lamenting it will put women's lives in danger or force them to carry a pregnancy that may hurt themselves. You've probably heard that pregnancy is riskier than abortion, but is that true? 
Let's dive into that a bit deeper and review and evaluate the risks that abortions cause, because like all medical procedures, it does come with risks. Out of the nearly 1 million abortions performed every year in the U.S., complications are estimated to be about 2%. These include minor things like pain, bleeding, infection, and post-anesthesia complications. Others are major, like uterine atony and subsequent hemorrhage, uterine perforation, injuries to adjacent organs, like the bladder or bowels, cervical laceration, failed abortion, septic abortion, disseminated intravascular coagulation, sepsis, peritonitis, deep vein, thrombosis, even death. Sounds serious, scary even, but let's dive even deeper. What if you decide to have a baby later on down the road? Well, that could get complicated. Abortion weakens the cervix and increases preterm deliveries by more than 25%. If you've had two or more abortions, the increase is even higher in between 51 to 62%. A Canadian study even shows that women who've had abortions are more than twice as likely to have a preterm child. These preterm births can cause a whole host of problems for the baby later down the road, like cerebral palsy, intellectual impairment, psychological development disorders, and autism. Abortion can increase your risk of cancer, too. Some studies have shown that a woman's risk of breast cancer increases by more than 40% if she's had an abortion. If a woman has had two or three abortions, her risk goes up by over 75%. Research has suggested that women who've had abortions have an increased risk of mental health problems. In fact, nearly 10% of these mental health problems after an abortion can be attributed directly to the abortion itself. Some women even report having symptoms of PTSD, like regret, grief, sadness, depression, anxiety, guilt, shame, and suicidal thoughts. First trimester surgical abortion by dilation and cutterage, or DNC, can result in Asherman syndrome, which increases the risk of future mid-trimester spontaneous abortions and low birth weight deliveries. Surgical abortions also increase the risk of something called incompetent cervix. In fact, incompetent cervix symptoms were found in 75% of women who had received a DNC abortion. There are more complications, but this gives you a basic idea. Just because abortions have been legal since Roe v. Wade doesn't mean they're 100% safe, and it definitely doesn't mean that you'll be able to avoid problems down the road. This discussion, however, is always omitted from the debate. You would think we have perfected abortion to a T. Keeping this information hidden from women not only shrouds the true nature of abortion in America in the 21st century, it fails to protect the people we say abortion protects, women. What about that second word, legal? More than one in three abortions in the U.S. are performed at Planned Parenthood, making them the largest abortion provider in the country. While lifers and choicers will argue over the importance of Planned Parenthood for women's general health services, it is no doubt a behemoth in the abortion industry. Remember when they were caught on camera talking about selling aborted fetal parts? Even though they weren't charged with anything, they were caught red-handed engaging in some very naughty behavior. Email and testimony show that one of the institution's senior officials tried to move forward with a deal to sell fetal parts. In fact, one Planned Parenthood affiliate received more than $25,000 in three months for selling baby body parts as detailed from their own invoices. And this is just what we know about. 
So why bring this up even though this news is seven years old? Well, it's important to note that while Planned Parenthood is held up as a choice abortion provider, they seem to have other things on their mind besides a woman's health, like money. I wonder how many women would have liked to have known that at the end of their abortion, Planned Parenthood might try and turn a dollar out of it. That's exploitation of the vulnerable. The very fact that the left didn't rush to root this out, shame it, and demand action out of Planned Parenthood should have been an indicator that the legal part of their old doctrine no longer meant anything. We've said for three decades it needs to be legal, but in reality, for the largest abortion provider, it was far from it. Planned Parenthood found a way to make a mockery out of their abortion services, and silent pro-choicers undermined their own chance of reproductive freedom. The other reason pro-choice advocates suggest that abortion must remain legal across the board is so that it will be available in circumstances of rape and incest. Granted, those are horrific circumstances, and even if you believe rape and incest are a reasonable excuse for an abortion, it's not a justification for all of them. Saying that all abortions must be on the table for these extreme cases clouds reality. Let's take a look at Florida for a bit of clarity. The state compiles a list of reasons that abortions are performed. 0.01% are from an incestuous relationship. 0.15% are from women that were raped. 0.20% was when the woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy. 0.98% was when there was a fetal abnormality. 1.48% was when the woman's health was threatened by pregnancy. 1.88% was when the woman's psychological health was threatened by the pregnancy. In fact, nearly 75% of all abortions in the state were elective. An additional 20% was for economic reasons. That means over 95% of abortions in Florida are due to just not wanting the baby, no health threat or extreme case of rape and incest. Rape and incest are an excuse by the extreme left something they cling to and hide behind as a way to preserve abortions into later and later terms. Bringing this up confounds the discussion. Regardless of how you feel about abortion under specific circumstances, keeping something entirely legal for the many to preserve it for the few is a red herring. Many people hear rape and incest and are shocked and horrified, caving to anything to make the experience easier for that individual. Yet it doesn't help the abortion debate. I bet you money I don't have that if a bill ran through Congress that made abortion illegal for elective and financial reasons, but left it legal for things like rape, incest, and health of the mother, even fetal abnormalities, I bet a lot of Republicans would get on board. It would wipe out, at least in Florida, over 95% of abortions, thus truly keeping it rare. Instead, we have beleaguered through the years, refusing to find a definition of life and refusing to set parameters on the procedure. Pro-lifers would still bristle at the remaining 5% of permitted abortions, but look at the lives they could save. One final thought in regards to the legality of abortions. Why hasn't there ever been a dedicated regulatory agency for it? The left likes to regulate everything. Have you ever wondered why not abortion? What if someone was constantly inspecting abortion clinics for safety or monitoring how women were informed about the procedure, making sure they knew all the risks, making sure they knew about abortion reversals, and the long-term effects on future pregnancies? 
why isn't someone checking the paperwork and internal workings of abortion providers? I bet it would have caught aborted parts being sold before the videos even came out. We have czars and regulatory heads for everything. We even have Biden trying to create a disinformation board. You'd think abortion protectionists would want something that made sure abortions were on par and safe. Funny how the far left all of a sudden becomes anti-regulation when it comes to abortion. And why hasn't the right suggested it? Wouldn't that be the perfect way for them to try and make the other side look bad? Somehow, it seems that even though on opposite sides, the politicians in charge have a singular goal. Just keep everyone fighting over minutiae. Keep them clinging to pointless labels of choice or life. For years, they have both done just the bare minimum at the federal level, almost as if it's the problem they want to keep around to manipulate the voter base. That concludes part one of Why Abortions Aren't Safe, Legal, and Rare. Tune in next week for part two.